0: Wonderful to see so many out tonight. As I announced earlier, both this morning as well as earlier tonight, tonight is the second part of a little two-part sermon mini-series that we began this morning. This morning, we took a lot of time and we explored many of the blasphemous, many of the ridiculous names and terms and charges and accusations that self-righteous religious people of Jesus' day leveled at Jesus Christ. These charges and accusations they leveled at him, all of which far better describe those people that hurled them than they did the savior whom they hurled them at. We talked about how they called him who knew no sin a sinner, how they called him evil, how they called him or accused him of being in cahoots with the devil. Jesus told us in John 8 it was indeed those religious leaders that that were guilty of that. We discussed the fact that the reason they sought to continually pin those false accusations on the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his ministry was for one simple reason. Because he lived a pure life and he taught God's word exactly as God wanted it taught. Hence those that did not want to accept it those who did not want to embrace it, they leveled all kinds of false charges at Jesus Christ, our Lord. They could not refute the very simple, very basic, biblical, scriptural, divinely inspired truth that he taught. They couldn't refute it. We've talked about this for months in the Sunday morning adult class. But even though they could not refute it, neither were they willing to humble themselves and repent and accept it. They wouldn't do that either. And so in their envy, in their jealousy, in their embarrassment at their own inability to be able to defend their own convictions in light of the glaring truth that he taught, they resorted to mocking him. They resorted to name calling. They resorted to laughing, ridiculing, and accusing him. All sorts of things that were not true. Because that's the only option they had left. They couldn't refute the truth. They didn't want to accept the truth. But they couldn't deny it. I mean, it's really hard. Can you imagine being there? And here's Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead. Four days dead here is. How can you deny that? We cannot deny that a miracle has occurred. That's what they said. They couldn't deny the truth. But they certainly weren't going to accept it. So they went after Jesus. We also covered this morning the very essential for us to understand and accept truth that Jesus spoke in John 15, verses 18 through 25. In this morning's lesson, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, look, they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you're truly following me and you're truly standing up to the word of God and you're truly preaching it the way it's there and you're you're talking about it. And and you're following me. They're going to hate you too, as they've done to me, they're going to do to you if you're truly following, John 15, 18 through 25. Then thirdly and lastly this morning, we saw how this did play out. This truth that Jesus said about them being persecuted when they stood up for the truth did indeed occur. Happened with Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as well as the Apostle Paul in Acts 24, 1 through 16. What was interesting and ironic about Acts 24, Now I'll ask you to turn here. Please open up your Bibles to Acts 24. The ironic part of that was that those who represented the actual sects or sections or divisions or denominations of Judaism, those actual sections or divisions or sects, known as the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because the Bible says they were sects, Acts five seventeen, Acts fifteen five, and Acts twenty six is five. It was those who were actually members of those sects or divisions who accused Paul of being one, as a member of the church. We talked about this at length this morning. The irony is incredible. What they were guilty of, and he was innocent of. They charged him with being. But. The beginning of Paul's defense in Acts chapter 24 needs to be the beginning of our defense. When we are accused of being part of a cult or a sect, they mean the same thing, a section or a division. When those people who are actually members of religious division, denominationalism, sections, when they accuse us who are part of the Lord's one original New Testament church that we see in the Bible, and we go just by the Bible, when they accuse us, who are part of these sects themselves as being a part of a sect, we need to have the same defense Paul did. In Acts 24, verse 13, he said this, or it says this. Paul says, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, the way, what's Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, verse six. But this I confess to you, Acts 24, 14, that according to the way, which they call a sect. Paul's letting you know, that ain't what it is. It's not a sect, it's not a section, it's not a cult, it's not a division. It is the way, but but, but they call it a sect. Yeah, I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. This is what happened in the first century church. So we should not be surprised today, as we strive to be that church that we see right there in the Bible, that church, that Jesus Christ, through his hand-picked apostles, established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that church, that kingdom that he was born to establish according to Luke 1, when we are part of that church, the pillar and ground of the truth, shouldn't surprise us that people are going to accuse us of being the same thing, part of a sect, part of a division, part of a cult. shouldn't surprise us. In fact, brethren, we should expect it. Did it happen to Paul in that passage we read? Did they accuse him of that? Well, if we're the first century church, we ought to expect the same thing. If we're that church, we ought to expect the same thing. Not only had we ought to expect it, we ought to accept it, and we ought to embrace it. We ought to embrace it. Because it shows that we're part of that same thing. When those religious divisions or sections of Christendom, so-called, who do not want to accept and obey the full truth of the gospel of the word of God, will accuse us who do want to accept the full gospel and want to teach everything just as the Bible teaches it. When they accuse us, we should embrace that. You know why? Because Jesus said in John 15, hey, they crucified me, basically, if I may paraphrase, for preaching the truth. They're going to come after you for preaching the truth, too. They didn't accept my word. They're not going to accept yours. Jesus said that was going to happen. We need to also understand this isn't the only place that those who were part of the sects of the Sadducees and Pharisees actually accused Paul, again, of being a part of another sect, even though he wasn't. For example, when they came to Paul at Rome in Acts 28, if I turn this on it'll work better, When they came to Paul in Acts 28, in verse 22, they said, we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, remember, Paul was a part of the Lord's church. He was a part of the one original, non-denominational, pre-denominational, undivided, unsectioned, undenominated church. That's what he was a part of. But they still called it a sect. They said, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Is the Lord's Church, as it is seen in the Bible, spoken against by some religious people today? Is it? Oh, yeah. It certainly is. Even though all we're trying to do is what Jesus did, just go by the word of God and that alone. There's some people don't want to go by just the word of God alone. But they can't argue that when the Bible says things like in 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you, there's no arguing that. It says what it says, and it means what it says. Baptism doth now save you. How can you argue that? can't. So if you can't argue it and you don't want to accept it, what only recourse do you have left? I'll start calling them names. I will start in speaking against them and that's exactly what happened. Brethren, according to everything we've covered today, you will be spoken against if you're truly standing on the scriptures and if we're truly the church as we see in the Bible because the church in the Bible was spoken against and accused of being a sect. Modern day word would be called, that we know that it is spoken against everywhere. That happened then. As a matter of fact, turn with me for just a minute to 1 Peter 2. I'll show you that in the first century, it was indeed spoken against. Keep that in mind. Spoken against. That's why I underlined it. Spoken against. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, running through verse 12. He's talking to the Lord's church. He's talking to those people who belong to Christ. There was only one church in the first century. It's the one we see in the Bible. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the Lord's church. Church of Christ, first century. And then look what he says. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly, fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that is, non-Christians, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation, when we read that text, He did not say that if they speak against you, notice what he said, that when they speak against you. If you stand up for the truth, if you're part of God's holy people, you're going to be spoken against. You're gonna be accused of being a sect and everything else. Apparently those who carelessly tossed that term sect around like a negative spiritual hand grenade in the first century didn't have a whole lot of idea of what it meant. Neither do a lot of people today, so it's time for us to look at the word sect. Now, again, if you were here this morning, I know some of you weren't, and for those folks, just let me say again that the term sect in the Bible and the term cult today are synonyms. They mean the same thing. But according to Vine's expository dictionary of biblical words, they define the word sect, heresis in the Greek, which sounds a lot like heresy. But the word sect means a choosing. It properly denotes a preconceived preference or prejudice either for a particular truth or for a perversion of one, generally with the expectation of personal advantage. Hence, a division. Folks, a set is like a section or a division, even according to vines. A division in the formation of a party or set in contrast, and we read this part this morning, in contrast to the uniting power of the truth. Does God's word, the truth, have the power to unite us all? we Would all just listen to what God says, could we all be on the same page? Absolutely. But a sect is one that says, no, I'm gonna divide from the truth. I don't want the total power of the truth. I'm going to be part of a division away from the truth and believe what I want. A sect is a division developed and brought to an issue Brethren, there's nothing new under the sun, Scripture says. Those proud and self-deceived and self-divided religious people who shoot that term cult at us on occasion because they can't argue what the Bible says, they understand from the same lack of, they they suffer from the same lack of understanding of what the term truly means because all I want in my life At the end of my life, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but in my life, is to tell people about the uniting power of the truth. I don't want to be part of a section. I don't want to divide from the truth. I don't want to be part of a group that says, well, I'm only going to take this verse, and this verse, and this verse, and build my whole theology. I want to take the entire word of God, because that's what's going to save my soul. When people hurl that word at us today, as Brother Kevin Cauley said in the bulletin article, and again, if you didn't get a bulletin today, please get one. Brother Kevin Colley said, In essence, what people have done today is define the word cult to mean anything other than acceptance of the denominational world. Isn't that true? People today have redefined the word cult to mean anything other than acceptance of the entire divided denominational world, a definition of convenience at best. They've redefined the word in their own minds. And the reason. They seek to redefine that term, sect or cult or division, and and put it off onto us is one reason and one reason only. They don't want to accept the full truth of the Bible, but yet they can't refute it. Again, Brother Kevin Colley in the bulletin article said, there is no effort to deal with the actual issue of what the Bible plainly teaches. In essence, they label us as a cult because they can't refute what is plainly taught in the scriptures. Pretty simple, isn't it? Why did they come after Jesus heart Couldn't refute what he said. Well, it was plain. It was clear. So, you know, instead of seeking to twist or pervert the meaning of the word cult to their own ends, it would really be nice if they actually understood what the meaning of that term is. But then again, if they did fully understand what the meaning of the word cult or sect is, they probably wouldn't call us one for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we're the original, we're not a division off of anything. The the Churches of Christ are in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, the Churches of Christ greet you. It was the Church of Christ congregations of which were called Churches of Christ in the first century, the original church. We don't see any, do we see any other churches that are around today in the Bible besides that one? No, it's the original, it's not a section off of anything. But there's another reason why if they knew the full meaning of the word cult, they probably wouldn't call us one. Did you know that if you look up biblical definitions online of, I'm sorry, if you look up definitions online of what cult means, there are some positive elements that we actually do fit. There are some positive elements of the word cult that we actually do fit, and we fit very well. But the problem here is, before everybody wrinkles their eyebrows, is that we don't often look the word up and understand what it even means. So, I did, and I want us to take a look at this. The free online dictionary, you can Google this afterward. The free online dictionary defines cult as the following three things. This is their wording, not mine. These are dictionary definitions of the word. Okay? A system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. Think about that. We're gonna take these one at a time. Is that my pointer? Aha, there we go. Okay, we're gonna take the first one. Consider this. That very first definition of cult fits both us and the denominational world at large, if you stop and think about it in different ways, but it applies to both of us. For example, does the Lutheran church have a respect or veneration for Martin Luther? Do they? Sure they do. They're called the Lutheran church for a reason. They didn't draw names out of a hat. Okay? They have a they're a religious, their system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure. In that case, Martin Luther or object. Are we, definition number one alone, are we a group of people who have a devotion directed toward a particular figure? Yeah, Jesus Christ, the Lord. We are the church of Christ. We absolutely have a system of religious veneration or respect directed toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what this table's all about on Sunday? Isn't it about our devotion and veneration to Jesus Christ? So if people want to call us a cult, we actually fit that right there very, very, very well. Then he goes on to say this. Number two in the free online dictionary's definition. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or... Sinister. Well, I suppose when you look at the Lord's Church, the Church of Christ as seen in Scripture and in existence today, I suppose we're relatively small compared to the rest of the world. Is that fair? Sure. But then it says having beliefs or religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Brethren, that's us. Biblically speaking, that's us. Biblically speaking, not opinion. Are we strange? What does it say in 1 Peter 2.9 in the King James Version? We are a peculiar people. Are we called, according to the Bible, in 1 Peter 2, to be strangers and aliens? Are we not therefore considered strange? As a matter of fact, yes we are. Biblically speaking, the Lord's church has always been strange to the world. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, for example, and we'll see the word strange right in the text. This isn't a matter of opinion. This is a matter of thus saith the Lord, black and white text. Look what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 1 Peter 4:1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He said, you spent enough time living for the sins of the flesh in regard, verse 4, to these, they think it what? Strange! They think it strange that you do not run with them into the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. That's the verse. When you stop living a worldly life and you turn your life over to God and you become a member of his church and your sins are washed away and you've repented... Those old friends that maybe you used to you used to drink with or you used to party with or you used to do all these other things, they think it what? Strange. Beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange. They think it's strange that you don't act like you used to act. So are we considered strange by people? Amen. So I guess we kind of fit that definition. Not only that, but you know what? We're also considered. Our practices is a little sinister. Matthew 10, 25, Jesus said, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? In other words, they called Jesus evil, they said he had a devil, said he had demons, said he worked by the power of Satan, they called him all these names, all of them were false, but he said, hey look, they did that to me, they're gonna do it to you, guess what? People think you're sinister. You can love people, You can be benevolent, you can give, you can practice a pure and holy life. And people who don't want to accept what the Bible says or accept the life you're living, guess what? They're going to make you sinister. They did Jesus, that's what the text says. And then it says, as a part of the third definition, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. Okay. A misplaced admiration. A misplaced admiration is not what we have. Jesus Christ is worth every ounce of our, of our reverence, is he not? He is worth every single ounce of our admiration. A misplaced or excessive admiration would be more those people who name their churches after human beings than after the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be misplaced. I don't mean to pick on anybody, but some of these church buildings you can buy, when it says the, the Lutheran Church of our Redeemer, and I'm not picking on Lutherans, I'm really not, but, but whose name came first? I mean, let's just be honest. Who's name? Who gets the glory? And when you do that with the community church, who gets the glory? The community. When you do it with God's church, I'm not sure who gets the glory there, but I don't even want to think about that. I'm going to move on. But the bottom line is our admiration is not misplaced because who gets the preeminence? Jesus Christ, the church of Christ. Christ. Because there's no salvation in any other name under heaven. Nor is there any other name given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. So, if when they call us a cult, they're going for this, this, this last one. We don't have a misplaced admiration. And brethren, we don't have an excessive, an excessive admiration. You know why? Because you cannot overdo your love and devotion to Jesus. It's not excessive. If you give him everything you've got, you still haven't begun to give him what he's given you can't be excessive. You can't give too much to Jesus Christ. So, some of those would kind of fit a little bit, and the ones that we do fit that are positive, it's a compliment when they call us that. Let's move on to the next one. According to freedictionary.com, cult is defined as a religion or religious sect. Now again, we're not a sect or section or division or denomination. We're the original church. See it right in the Bible. But its definition is a religion or religious sect generally considered to be extremist or false. We're probably considered as extremists by those who don't want to follow the Word of God, but as long as we keep following the Word of God, that's what we're called to do. With its followers often living in an unconventional manner under the guidance of an authoritarian charismatic leader. Now I know how this word comes out and people shy away from it, but brethren, I want to tell you something. People are going to call us that, and we're looking at that first definition of what a cult is. I guess I'd like to say, you know what, it's a compliment. I'll tell you why. I live in an unconventional manner. When I look around and people that are out partying, and cheating on their spouses and doing all that stuff, they look at me and they think I'm living an unconventional life. You know what, that's okay with me. From their perspective, I am. So I'm willing to take that under the guidance of an authoritarian, charismatic leader, amen. You know what, who has all authority? Not, does not Jesus Christ have all authority? Did he not say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? I follow a very. Now when we talk about charismatic, exciting, Jesus Christ excites me. Why do you think I don't preach from up there? You all know, right? Because I can't stand still when I'm talking about Jesus. That's just too exciting. It's too good. That he could love somebody like me after what I've done is just beyond. It's just, I can't stand up there because it's a little step and I don't know how many times I fall and break my nose i got to stand down here because I get excited. So if we're going to talk about somebody living under the guidance of a, an all-authoritative, exciting leader, and that's the way you're going to use the term on me, amen, I'm, I'm a member of the call. Thank you for noticing that I follow Jesus Christ and I'm excited about that. Thank you. Then it says in the next one, it says obsessive, especially faddish. Folks, you know what a fad is, right? Something comes and goes. Six months it's here, six months it's gone. You know, for those of you that are old enough to remember, <laughs> I'm going to date myself again. Remember the old Michael Jackson sparkly glove that all the kids were just nuts about here decades ago? You know, it was a fad. It came and went, fads come and go. I've been a Christian since 1985. This ain't no fad. Can I use a double negative down here? This ain't a fad. This is life. So I don't have a faddish devotion or veneration for person, and principle or thing, but I'll tell you what, I do have an obsessive devotion. I am completely obsessed with Jesus Christ. My life is all about Jesus. My life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3 and verse 1. Christ is my life. That's the kind of devotion I have. So if you want to use the word cult that way, obsessive devotion or respect or veneration for person, principle, or thing, amen, that's me. I also have an undying devotion to a thing, and that is the word of the living God. Don't you? Don't you respect the word of God? How many of you in this room have been Christians for more than 50 years? Raise your hand high, 50, more than 50. Raise them high, I wanna see them, I can't see them, I'm Blind. am I'm old. Come on, get them up. It's no fad, is it? It's life. And you still have that devotion to the word. So if you wanna call me a call for having a devotion to Jesus Christ and his word, because I fit that definition that is right down there. Okay. And then the last part of the definition, an exclusive group of persons sharing an esoteric, usually artistic or intellectual. Are we an exclusive group? Yeah. We are. What does the Bible say? There is, the body is the church and there is one body, right? say this two, doesn't say this 12, doesn't say this 3,000. says there's one body. there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all and in you all. Ephesians chapter 4, four through 6. Is that exclusive? Is one exclusive? Absolutely. So if you're going to call me a member of a cult because we're exclusive, well, the Bible says we're supposed to be exclusive. We're supposed to be Christ, one group of people that follow His word and nothing else. It's kind of interesting. that it says esoteric. And what the word esoteric means is it's understood only by a chosen few. That's not us. The word esoteric doesn't fit us. If they're using that, that doesn't fit because we of all people understand the Bibles for every last one of us, right? Some religions teach that only the preacher or the pastor or whatever leader, he knows everything, and you people just need to listen and keep your Bibles closed. That ain't this. I'll tell you right now, I cannot save a single one of you people. Do not take my word for anything you can't find in the book. This is not just the leadership knows everything and you need to listen to them. You go home and open your Bibles because you're gonna answer to Jesus Christ, not that thing. Called according to dictionary.com means an instance of great veneration, respect or awe dis- inspired by the dignity, wisdom, dedication or talent of a person. I'll tell you what, you wanna call me part of a cult because I have respect and awe for the wisdom and who Almighty God is, fine, thank you for the compliment. Because I respect the awesomeness of God, do you? I respect the holiness and the righteousness and the purity and the love and the grace and the mercy, and the awesome power of my God. So if you're gonna call me that because I have respect or awe inspired by all that God is of God, of his word, an ideal or thing, especially as manifested by a body of admirers. If you're here tonight, isn't it because you're an admirer of God, because you're devoted to God? If you're gonna call me a cult in that way, bring it. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing that I am completely devoted to God because I respect him. Thank you. A group or a sect, we're not a section, we're a group, bound together by veneration or respect of the same thing. Are we all bound together by our love for God and his holiness? Isn't that what binds us together? So, you know, when they throw the word cult at us, they have no idea what it means. Some of this stuff's pretty good. And we need to thank them for recognizing our devotion to God. And what holds us together is our respect for who God is and his word. If that's the definition they're using, of course, they don't know what definition they're using, but moving on. I've gotten so far away from my notes, I'm not even going to bother. Okay. Finally, from Merriam-Webster, the name that everybody recognizes when it comes to dictionary. Three different definitions under the word "cult": a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Okay, unorthodox we've covered. Yeah, the people that don't live like we do, we seem like strange people. Okay, we're supposed to be strangers and aliens, sojourners and pilgrims. We're supposed to do that. We are unorthodox. Great. You know what this word spurious means, I looked up spurious. Here's what spurious means. Of illegitimate birth, outwardly similar or corresponding to something without having its genuine qualities. Read that again. Spurious means of illegitimate birth, outwardly similar or corresponding to something without having its genuine balls. In the Bible, Jesus Christ came and established his church. Is that correct? That is correct. We see the name, we see what they practiced, we see how we're added to it. Everything's right there in black and white. God made it real simple. Years passed. Constantine was enthroned. Uh, Constantine came into power in 313. He died in 337. And during those years that Constantine was on the throne, he developed a counterfeit church, one that looked like the real thing in some ways, but it was designed according to him. He made Christianity legal, but it was Christianity according to Constantine. He kind of set it up the way he wanted it. That's where you get the hierarchy and the bishops and all of these things in the Roman Catholic church. It was set up the same way as the Roman government. It it, it was a church, I mean, it looked like a church, but it wasn't the original. It was a sect. It was a section, division, divide off of. Then in the, I think it was 1049, 1046, 1049. The Greek Orthodox Church broke off from there because they didn't want to take orders from Rome and, and so on and so forth. But my point is this. And today, we get got all these churches with names and practices we can't find in the Bible. And so spurious means one more time, outwardly similar or corresponding to something without having its genuine qualities. Are there a lot of churches out there today that are man-made that carry the name church, but they're not the original? Sure. They kind of look like it, they, they correspond to it, but they don't have its genuine, original qualities. The word spurious also means a falsified or erroneously attributed origins. It means forged, or of a deceitful nature or quality. If we were to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we would see how men in their greed would come along and they would preach these damnable heresies or made-up stories Melotting the way of the truth, and many would be led astray, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And so, when I think of the word spurious, spurious is not the original. It kind of looks like it, but it ain't it. It's not genuine. It's not the real thing. Does that fit the sections, divisions, denominations more than the original? Yeah. So they kind of fit that more than we do. Second definition under Merriam-Webster for cult. Great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. If that's what you mean when you call me part of a cult, praise God, because I am totally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his church, and to working in his church. Aren't you? So if that's what you mean, number two, thank you. Then finally, Merriam-Webster's third definition of cult is a usually small group of people characterized by such devotion. Not just me, you do We're characterized as a group by our devotion to God, his church, his kingdom's expansion, and his work. A small group characterized by that. If When people call me a cult, or part of a cult, when they talk about the Lord's church as seen in scripture, if that's what they want to call me, if they mean this one and this one, you know what I'm gonna say to them? Thank you so much for seeing that in me. Praise God, I am so grateful you can see that I am completely devoted to God. you know what a compliment that is? What a compliment that is? So, as you can see as we get ready to close tonight, oftentimes those who use the word cult to describe us, although they may mean it for evil, it's actually a compliment when you know what the meaning of the word is that's thrown around. It is actually good that they recognize that we are so faithful, in love with, and devoted to the authoritarian leader, the king of the world, the king of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: It is wonderful
0: that they understand, they recognize in us that we live differently. We live in a way that is strange to them in that we don't just run out and and live the life that our culture lives, but we try to live a more holy and pure and righteous life because we've been cleansed by the blood, we've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and we love him so much we just want to live for him. We want to live holier, we want to live closer to him. And when people recognize that and they think that we're strange, praise God that they understand that we are strangers and aliens, just as God tells us we must. They may mean it for evil when they call us that, we need to take it as good because a lot of these do describe us. Genesis 50, 20. You remember the story of Joseph? What Joseph told his brothers? You meant it for evil, the Lord meant it for good. As you can also see, they don't have a clue what the true meaning of the word is. So the next time if somebody hurls that accusation at you, what church do you attend? I attend Church Christ. Oh, that's a cult. Especially when it is somebody who is a member of a section or a division or a sect off from the original, you need to do two things. First thing you need to do, thank them from the bottom of your heart for recognizing that you're different and that you're in love with God. Thank you for calling me that. And then while they're scraping their jar up off the floor and scratching their head till it bleeds because they have no idea what you just meant by that comment, you know what you need to say to them before they have a chance to say anything? Do you know what that word means that you just used? Guess what that is? Because they might throw some meaning out there that's not the way the word's actually defined at all. Say, no, that's not what the dictionary says. Would you like to sit down and study it? Open door for Bible study. Next time you say, oh, you're a member of the cult. Thank you. Do you know what that word really means? Would you like to study it with me? It'll blow their minds. Tonight, I hope this has been thought-provoking on how to handle that situation. I hope it's been educational as to what the term means. Don't trust my word. Go and look it up on whatever dictionary you've got. Check it out. But tonight. You're not a member of the Lord's church. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we're given everything that we need to become a member of the Lord's church. In Acts chapter 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost preached that Jesus was Lord and explained how Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah, how he fulfilled all the scripture, and he said, You, with the help of sinful men, put him to death. And at the end of his sermon, in Acts chapter 2, the first gospel sermon that was preached, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to heaven. At the end of that sermon, they looked at Peter and the other apostles in verse 37. They realized they had sinned. They realized they had messed up, and they said, what shall we do? And, and Peter responded, as we know, and he said that each of them had to repent, meaning change their lives, change and turn their hearts' direction to God, give their lives to God, repent, turn their heart, and be baptized. But he didn't stop there. He said, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He didn't say be baptized because you're already saved. He didn't say be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. He said, let each one of you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for all of your children, for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. We're called when we hear the gospel, according to Thessalonians. With many other words, he testified to them and he said, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, just because they believed what he taught, they weren't already saved. Because it had cut him to the heart, they already believed it. They said, what are we going to do? But he's still telling them they've got to be saved from this perverse generation. So belief alone didn't save them. The fact that he was telling them the truth about Jesus, they believed in Jesus alone, didn't save them because they still weren't saved. So in many other words, he warned them to be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who received his word were baptized. About 3,000 souls were added that day. And what were they added to? Verse 47 of Acts 2 tells us they were added by God to the church. Nobody added you to the church but God. The church is that saved group of people that belongs to Jesus Christ. And only God can add you there. And God will only add you there when you love him enough to trust him and obey his word and be washed of your sins. You can't be in the church unless your sins have been washed away. The church is the saved group, the cleansed group. You have to be cleansed. You have to have faith enough to trust him that If he said I've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, then that's what I'm going to do. If there's anybody here tonight who's not done that, or if you're somebody, maybe a visitor, and you're saying, wow, i never heard any of this stuff. I need a Bible study. We have a lot of folks in this room tonight who would sit down and Bible study with you. Don't we, church? A lot of people. Let's sit down and look at what the Scriptures really say. No opinions, no editorials, just what does the Scripture say. Or if you need the prayers of the church tonight, any of these things, Baptism, Bible study, prayers, anything we can do to help you. We're going to stand and sing a song and encourage you to come down front let us know how we can do that right now. Please join us in standing and singing.